Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Brain Food Show. Hot off the back of recording our last episode, which we wrapped up about five minutes ago, in between which I got some coffee, spilt my coffee everywhere, and made myself some more coffee, which was a brilliant break. But you guys have waited like a week in between. So welcome back to the show. Uh, hey, David, how's it going? I feel like I do these pleasantries again with you, but we were just talking to each other, so it's weird. You know... I think in the last mm. episode, you didn't ask me how I was doing. So thanks for that. I'm so sorry. Where, yeah. where are my British manners? How are yeah, you doing? Yeah. I am well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Can we talk about something you recently bought, which is extremely cool? Or is that under wraps? What did I buy? Oh, dude, what did you buy? <laughs> I told you I can't remember anything. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can talk about that. Cool. Well, what did you buy? Uh, an aeroplane. You did buy an aeroplane. Dude, it looks yes. so cool. It is cool. Because, I mean, and regular view. Yeah, go on, go on. Tell me more. Yeah. No, it is cool. I mean, it's like a 1977 Piper Arrow, which, or 1977, sorry, 1977. That's a big difference. Piper Arrow. But this is the nicest Piper Arrow I've ever seen, like ever. Anyway, most of them look like something from 1977. And like at a, when I trained in as the Archer, which is sort of a step down. It's got like, um, the arrows basically got like retractable gear and uh, adjustable prop, but, and, you know, a little faster than the Archer, but uh, otherwise it's kind of the same plane. And most of them, they look, they smell like something from the 1970s and they look like, but this one is immaculate. Like, I don't know, this guy nice. took care of it. You sent yeah. me these pictures. It looks so cool. Is red, red, red and white. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's cool. really and it's not nice. like crazy expensive, uh, you know, like 600 bucks a month plus, you know, it's a plane. So it's like a boat where you buy a boat and it's like kind of not expensive at first, but then like everything is expensive from there. Yeah. What do people say? Yeah. Like the, the two best yeah. days you own a boat are the day you buy the boat <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. day you sell the boat. <laughs> exactly. But this one has been well taken care of. Never used as a trainer, which is another thing. Most of them had the, the life beat out of them from being a trainer plane, but this one never used, uh, which is rare for an arrow, uh, which is probably also why it looks mm. so nice. Yeah, it's nice. Interior was redone not that long ago. Do you have it in your possession yet? Because I know it's halfway across the country or something. No, I got to go get it. It's in North Carolina. I can either have someone ferry it back or I can fly it back. And this time of year is not like ideal going over the continental divide and everything for that for weather and whatnot. But um, I could have, but I I posted on a forum, piloting forum, and there was tons of people. There's lots of airline pilots right now with nothing to do. And so it has to be a, um, so they can come along because the insurance actually requires me to have like, I think it's 15 hours dual time, even though it's going to take like two or three hours. I mean, it's basically what I flew before, Um, but they require 15 uh, with a duel with an instructor and so a uh, dual time so it's you gotta have an instructor next to you to, to twiddle their thumbs really after the i mean really to twiddle their thumbs and uh, but i actually thought it'd be a good learning experience fly back from north carolina to bellingham all the way across the country with an airline pilot who's you know got thousands of hours and i'm probably going to learn a lot if i did that did it that way and i mean most of the time i mean they're supposed to be instructing me and there will be i mean some of that i imagine in the beginning just to get a feel for the plane like a couple hours before we leave but then after that you know whatever um, we'll fly back and I'll probably learn a ton. So that's sort of my plan. But I, that will require me to take some good amount of time off work. So I may say, okay, that, that would be super fun and good learning. But I may just have someone fly it back for me. And then I can get my training at my leisure, um, you know, without interrupting work or anything yeah. like that. Where, yeah. where You got somewhere to park it and stuff? Because you live in uh, near yeah. in, the, in Washington state. Yeah, Bellingham area. Like a, so yeah, I'm gonna, I could either take it at, to the Bellingham airport or the Skagit airport. I kind of live in between the two. And uh, I think I'm going to go with Skagit because it's not towered. And uh, they also have new hangars being built um, soon. So, and hangar space is really hard to come by. So it's good. It's going to be fun. Well, I just, I just thought that was extremely cool because you sent it me yeah. the other day. And I was like, that is, that is, uh, yeah. that's pretty sick. Yeah. So, uh, congratulations. Yeah. It's been a long process. I surprised. Yeah. Damn. Buying a plane, <laughs> buying a plane is, at least in uh, the, my experience of it, was uh, it's way harder than buying a house. Like, really, there's like so many hoops. To jump through and like uh, whatnot, which um, yeah, it's pretty much done. I guess it's also there's less people buying planes, so there's less like yeah, yeah. infrastructure. Well, and they're all like old, like they're all old, like the the aging fleet, uh, and then you want to make sure the wings aren't going to fall off and stuff like that. Yeah, so you know that's that's always important. But no, it's good. It's a Piper Aero three turbo, so it's got that turbocharged engine with the modifications to make it so the engine doesn't blow up because that that it, that particular engine doesn't have a good reputation before. The mods were made, but this one's got the mods, so it's good. It has so. just one engine, right? Yeah. And so if I happen to it's die on the way back, up. you know, Don't at least that. we're like yeah. a month ahead on podcasts and stuff. So. That's true. That's <laughs> great. Good stuff. You'll have you'll have time to, you know, find my replacement. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that is morbid. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, it, yeah, that'd be quite funny retrospective. You're like, hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Brain Fruit Show with a new host. As we discussed, we don't really time, have a plan. If one of us kicks it, we should probably have a plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're you both know. young. We're, you know, deal with it. I don't think, yeah. well, other than the fact you fly your own bloody plane, which I know is dangerous. So. It's not. No, here's the thing. It's actually statistically not that much mile for mile. Hour for hour, it is in general aviation more dangerous than driving a car. But mile for mile, it's about the same. Like, it depends on how you want to quantify yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how like many times are you going on a massive journey? And you're, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing about it is it's actually safer if you two things. Number one cause of, of um, dying in a plane crash, uh, general aviation anyway, is engine failure. But you think, oh, engine failure, that must be so dangerous. But no, it's not the engine failing were failing it's because you ran out of gas that's like the number one reason engines no. fail <laughs> yeah and it that's a little bit more complicated especially in the old days it was a little more um it's harder to do now unless you're just stupid uh because in the old days you might be flying and you can't go below the cloud like you can't if you're a via something called vfr uh pilot which most that's most people uh you're not allowed to go through the clouds unless it's an emergency you can declare an emergency and then you can go through the clouds um, but even then that's kind of dangerous if you're not familiar and it's foggy like if it's really foggy all the way down the surface you're not going to have a good time. That's where a lot of the accidents come from is like VFR pilots finding themselves in that situation. And so you might be flying around and you just can't, you can't get down or the weather, like the weather's in your way. And so you have to go around. And if you didn't plan ahead properly and you can't, maybe you can't get back to an airport or whatever. So you run out of gas, but that's really just poor planning and being stupid. And it's really, it's a lot harder now because in the old days you could get lost. If you get lost nowadays, I don't even know what you're doing. Cause you got, I mean, this plane is it's even got some older avionics and it's still got like three GPSs built in and it's got like you got your phone and your tablet and like all the apps that get you and you just you, you'd have to you're not going to get lost it's just not going to happen do you have anymore. a parachute in the plane no this one that is the one thing I did I really wanted that but this one doesn't this one's something called a certified plane and so you can't even get it in this uh, it's not even an option if it was an experimental I could just you know you know make that happen but um no that's can the one thing a, I didn't can you carry a parachute like a regular parachute in the yes. can you buy one of those off eBay and just shove it in the back seat? Because I mean, maybe you're not, maybe better. it's not going to work out. But even if I didn't yeah. have to use it, I'd feel more comfortable just having one in the back seat. Yeah, better is if um, they have the um, so if you're a stunt plane, you know, or a test pilot, they have uh, special ones mm -hmm. made that are actually very compact compared to a normal parachute, so they're very comfortable to sit. And some people do when they're testing out planes and stuff, they wear those. But um, yeah, it's not really like honestly flying at night over the mountains. That flying at night. That's the one thing I, I actually enjoy flying at night a lot better. The air is really smooth and all that. And with the modern stuff, you're, you'd have to be an idiot to run into a mountain or something. Um, and so like in the old days, it, you, I mean, that's actually a lot more dangerous. But nowadays... Next uh, podcast, you, unfortunately, David has flown <laughs> into a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is the thing with the... Con the FAA report the says extreme overconfidence. <laughs> there's, this, <laughs> there's this channel called um, Air Safety Institute, and I've watched like all their videos. They, they break down these accidents and what went wrong. And all this, and mm -hmm. uh, you just never want to, like the, the takeaways, you never want to be featured in one of their videos. Um, it's not, no. it's not good, uh, but they do a good job. But no, that that's the going over the continental divide with the winds being as unpredictable and stuff. But that, again, you just look ahead. Don't go if it's super, because you can have downdrafts that can exceed the ability of your plane to climb and then you run into a mountain. But, you know, you know just don't, uh, if the parachute, if the parachute had the full plane parachute, more comfortable flying at night, because usually you can put it down in a field somewhere if the engine dies or whatever. It's not going to be a problem most of the time but in any event yes okay so look, if, look look just don't look. get yourself killed because i don't know how to do your job no and then yeah the other the other common way people die is spinning it either on takeoff or on on that base to final turn and that you know the one thing of nice about the piper arrow people call it like so the archer and the warrior were shown in the series people it's like a flying refrigerator is what people call it and the arrow is like a flying refrigerator with a rock tied to it and so if you cut the power it just drops and this this is advantage when you're landing because you can actually land pretty fast and not bounce it and so if you have that extra speed you're not going to spin it uh it, once it's on the ground it will stay on the ground because it, it's a flying refrigerator um basically so yeah two things well, i'm not tell you so, what. safer than driving then is the point of all of that so, I, I, per less, mile but less I think, forgiving you know. less forgiving you can't just pop, hop, uh, hop in your plane and go flying you do have to do all your prep all your weather Look at all that. You have to plan your trip in detail. You can bend the statistics however you like. Yeah. So whereas you can just planes is dangerous. Yeah, you can just you can just hop in your car and go somewhere, and you don't have to worry about any of that. And so as long as you do your prep, you're good. But ever most people do their prep, and you go over the plane. You look over every single time. You look over the plane. Make sure it's good. You inspect it. You know, 15, 20 minutes. You're looking over everything. Making sure it's good. You do run up. 
another 15, 20 minutes, you're, yeah, it's good. Well, it's good. dude, it's when the world has finally stopped ending and we yeah. see each other again at some something, I, I, yeah. I, I would hope to go up in your plane. I think that would be... Yeah, no. Oh, I, yeah, you. Have me. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be good. Travel around. It would be a lot quicker than our last road trip and whatnot to go places. It goes, it goes, cruises about 180 miles an hour or so at about 8,000, 9,000 feet. So it's pretty, it's very nice. Somewhat speedy. Yeah. Very nice. Should we, uh, what do we, we should do get there? into the I podcast because we've already turned about, off like, all the, all the people watching on YouTube left. have already clicked off except for the yeah. aviation enthusiasts, which is like, you know. Uh, the aviation channels are actually pretty popular on YouTube, and I've been—I was thinking just for fun, it might be fun to do one of some sort. Like uh, I've talked about before, doing that. So you have like the comedians and cars, would it be like experts in planes, but like not that title, where you just bring up an expert and you talk about an interesting topic, where you fly around in beautiful scenery, like really gorgeous shots. Which Bellingham, Washington, has like a ton of awesome stuff, you know, uh, for scenery. I think it could be good, good visuals. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Let's do what we're doing on this channel, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is but good today. that we had this padding because this is a really quick episode today. Um, so, um, oh, yeah, that so it all works intentional. out. <laughs> yeah. So the appetizer today, we're going to talk. Well, I should say the whole thing. We're doing the origin of chopsticks, knives, forks, spoons, and the fortune cookie. So the appetizer today is chopsticks. We're going to start with that. So these were first used around uh, 4,000 to 5,000 years ago in China or, or so. It's not really like super clear because the first ones were made of like twigs. You know, and so they didn't last. But it seems like that's when people first started using them. And you might think that's kind of weird. You know, like, yeah, rice is super popular and everything that seems like a weird choice uh, and whatnot. But um, it turns out that, of course, the the more traditional rice, less processed is extremely sticky is, of course, um, if you if you have actual stuff, it's more like the westernized uh, rice is very processed and, you know, like a spoon or is, is a little bit more efficient. Um, but yeah, so this sticky rice. So but anyways. Um, so if you fast forward, though, to 1200 BC, that's when we had the first examples of chopsticks being made of bronze, which have actually survived then uh, to today. Um, so, But it still wasn't like super popular, and it's kind of difficult to nail down firm dates on things on this. So, and, But at this time, it's not really here. It wasn't really used for eating like we would think of it. Uh, today, it was more just like for poking and like grabbing stuff out of your cooking things. So you didn't really sit down at the table and eat with it. Um, that wouldn't seem to occur until around um, around 500 AD or so, um, started to be using as table utensils and stuff. And so mm. what, what caused the switch and why did they, why did these, you know, cultures adopt that instead of like the spoon and all this, which the spoon, as we'll get into in a bit, is, was around in China. So why did they switch? Why would you go, why would you have a spoon and then switch to chopsticks? You know, like this I feel like I know lot. the answer to this, but I'm going to spoil because have we done a video or something about this? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure you've covered it somewhere I on one of your channels. Let me just guess. I won't spoil, yeah. but you can tell me if, you know, because I'll, I'll say it cryptic enough that you'll know. Does it yeah. have something to do with small pieces of meat? Yeah, yeah. That was, that's, okay, that's cool. what I was about to actually mention. So the, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so according to the California Academy of Science Anthropology Department, they state that around the time this sort of switch happened to starting to really use these as, as table utensils, um, there was a major population boom, and this resulted in a scarcity of resources, and whatnot. And this also, around the same time, there was a shift from, you know, like whole slabs of things and whatnot to start cutting things into tiny pieces. So, I mean, they would cook faster. And of course, if you have, uh, if you have less or whatever, but um, mainly it seems like, well, at least according to them, it cooks faster. And so this seemed to uh, precipitate the change there. And so when you have tiny pieces of meat, you didn't, I mean, you're not going to like um, before you would stab it with your knife or, you know, like if you had like a spoon of some sort, you could, um, but most people with stabbing knife, it was like a big thing. But when it's a tiny thing, you, you don't need to do that. You can just pick it up with your chopsticks. And it's still, you kind of think the spoon's superior though, right? Like still, but it, but there was something else that goes into this also is that um, know, Confucius- man. If someone said, if it, hang on, hang on, just one sec. If someone mm -hmm. was like, Here's, we're going to present you with a random meal. You don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Do you want spoon or knife? Like sharp knife before, mm -hmm. you know, knowing what the food is. I'd choose sharp knife. Yeah, before, I reckon if you because then you can do the stabby thing. Like when I go camping yeah. and I forget my cutlery, like having a pen knife, you can cut up whatever you're cooking. You can mm -hmm. then stab it. Up. You can kind of scoop it onto the side of the knife and try not to cut your mouth. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the spoon is very useless when you're talking like large slabs of things. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, you can pick you it up and then you got to like, the spoon. You just got to switch to your fingers. So, yeah, I suppose. But um, yeah, when you're talking small cut up things, though, the spoon is quite handy for quickness of eating but um but yeah no they switched and so one of the other contributing factors is generally attributed to the teachings of confucius who believes that knives were not appropriate to eat with 
As Confucius supposedly said, The honorable and upright man keeps well away from both the slaughterhouse and the kitchen, and he allows no knives on his table. Yeah, so if you don't have okay. knives, and you just have a spoon, uh, then yeah. And then, Who's uh, slaughtering all the animals? Yeah, and um, this is... Uh, I actually want to do a video on this. Like, Did Confucius say like any of the things that we say, like that people attribute to him? Or is it just like this I historic thing of like... Uh, just like, we, like every Einstein. every wise, yeah, but like the historic <laughs> version of that, Twain, where like over Oscar centuries, Wilde. like every wise quote or whatever gets attributed to him. And I, I actually want to do a video on that. Like, did Confucius say the things he said or whatever? You know, be the title. I was going to assign that. We have a linguist, a PhD linguist on staff now. I was going to give that to her because she's actually did. Love she did a really God. good one on what would happen. Yeah, no, all like that's all we have on staff now. Basically, is PhDs for the most part, um, which is great. Yeah. So the he uh, she did one on the if you took random st children and put them in a put them together raise them together babies but no one ever talked to them would they oh, create wait, their own language yeah we did it did really well yeah okay and she oh, covered that one because that was oh my yeah God, that was I'm actually one of her she had a she had a paper on it actually which is why that was one of her example research papers that she did like personally and i was like hey can you modify that research paper to be like a you know a little less formal and be more like uh you know what we would do and she, so that was her first one um but she's she's working on a really good one now and i can't even remember what it is but it's good. It's going to be good when she's done with it. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but it's language related. But anyways, uh, it is also thought this Confucius thing might be why the Chinese chopsticks are traditionally blunt rather than uh, pointy at the tip. So the pointy actually helps if you want to stab stuff. It still kind of works that way. You can spear food, but they, they don't. That's not traditionally the way it is um, in Chinese having chopsticks. One pointed chop chopstick would be awesome. Yeah. Just yeah. having one of them sharp so you could like, I don't know, spear something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Um, which, um, so yeah, this this sort of spread from there to Japan and Korea and Vietnam and stuff. Uh, oh, and before we finish this section, wait, no, that's later. So never mind. That is what that is the, the end of this section. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So now we're into the ad, which I was just looking at side projects. So I thought like a better, more effective ad to convince people is actually to talk about uh, specific videos. So what do we got here on side projects? We got the um, which is Are already you doing insane. my new channel. You hear it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just looking at it because I, I, I watched, like, I, I saw that it, like, existed the other day, and but I haven't actually, like, yeah. really looked at it. It's, it's doing quite well, isn't it? Right off the bat, it's a project. So, so good. Those, those projects, people love them. That was a mega projects, too. Like, you were launched it, in a week, like, a week later, it was, like, one of your most, was it the most popular channel within, like, a week or two? Uh, yeah, it's, like, it's yeah. crazy. Like Yeah, as far as, I mean, like, views per video. Views per video... I mean, it, ne it has nowhere near the views per month of something, like, that's yeah. been around longer. But yeah, yeah, yeah but video. Like, views that was per video. pretty great for some reason. Yeah, it were like right off the bat, it was crazy. Uh, so what do you got here? You got uh, theoretical mega structures. We might one day. Oh yeah, dude. See? This was just because I love Star Trek. Like I wanted to do more about Dyson spheres and stuff. And mm. I don't know. I love yeah. all that stuff. Oh, the London Bridge. I actually, oh yeah, the London Bridge. That was the one I watched. The London Bridge on an Arizona icon since 1971. That was that was actually pretty interesting. Uh, moving, moving Thank the London you very Bridge much. over. Yeah. I yeah. absolutely didn't write it, but I'm glad you... Uh, <laughs> no, what's What's funny about that is someone asked on Highlight History if um, I watch, like, your other channels or whatever. And I was like, dude, I don't even watch today. I found out. Like, not really. Yeah, dude. It's like... <laughs> um, how much time so, do you think he has? <laughs> yeah. I know what it says. I mean, like, there was that brief period when we started doing more asides and stuff in it. And then I watched for a little bit just to sort of see what you were doing and just kind of just uh, see. It was kind of entertaining. But then, you know, like, yeah, I don't have time to... To watch and you have yeah you, you know have, what you it have is. a lot of channels and you know what's yeah. in them i know in general for the most part yeah yeah exactly so yeah no yeah so it's basically no, yeah. a new channel i think there are what 12 videos up on there now so there'll be there's three a week and yeah like oh we did one about brasilia which is the capital of brazil that essentially was made from scratch in the center of the country mm -hmm. the Jeddah tower that one's doing well that one was like a day ago and it's uh, it's already at fifty-two thousand views which i'm quite pleased with that no, was that a, 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 a skyscraper they just stopped building and it kind of dives into why. I'm not sure why I made that video seven minutes long. Because if it's eight <laughs> minutes long, then I can have a mid-roll ad. Um, that was, oh, that yeah. was a terrible business decision. <laughs> um, oh, wait, there's one here that's seven minutes and 57 seconds long. <laughs> that was <laughs> an error. Well, people always like, as soon, whenever we release a video, it used to be, you know, at the 10 minute mark, you could get a mid-roll. And we'd make a video that's 10 minutes and one seconds long. And people are like, yeah. oh, I see what you did there. You're just greedy. You want the mid-roll ads. And then I'd point to the dozens of videos. It's just because we never, yeah. I never make any effort to get it to no, a no, particular no, time. No. And then it's, it's like, like yeah, we've also made like 
tons of videos that are nine minutes and 59 seconds long. Yeah, the only one, the only one that I actually look at is Fact Quickie and where I very specifically have a word count I'm trying to hit to hit that three to five minute mark and it has to be in that. So Fact Quickie, but I'm trying to make, I'm actively trying to make it shorter. Can't see those mid-roll ads. Your CPMs are going to suffer. No, it's going to, it's not going to be good for that. And then I'm also making a 60 or 90 second version for like Facebook and stuff. Mm. And that is difficult. Let me tell you, to compress like a 15 minute video down to 60 or 90 seconds is super, super hard. But <laughs> if, if you're going to post on Facebook, it has Forks. to be 60. It is difficult. It came about from some woman who had a fork. Yeah. So what I had to do is I re- had to record myself a lot. Uh, and I look back at past videos as well. And then I took the average of my, well, sort of my cadence of speech. What's what, what word count hits the three to five minute and the 60 to 90 second mark. And then they, that's, but that's the only one I actually look at word count and like what, how much time it's going to be. So highlight okay. history, highlight history. We got, uh, is doing extremely well for the little relaunch. Uh, we got uh, The Tale of Two Brothers is published, which we mentioned before. The um, the Devil mm. and the Absolute Legend is what that one's titled. Really good. People should go check that out. Um, Stealing the Why Crown Jewels. Why am I upside down in all the thumbnails? I just do that sometimes because it, sometimes it like fits better with the picture and also I just think it's more eye-catching. Um, oh, I guess. It's like, that why one, is upside down? Yeah, that one you weren't going to be upside down. Like the um, the uh, US female, US president one, which we've made a podcast episode of that, but I just wanted to put it on highlight history because it's really good. Um, and... Um, yeah, you, were, you weren't going to be upside down, but I couldn't quite fit you in the way you're holding your hand and stuff, but I wanted that one. And so I just put you upside down because then it fit. There you go. Stealing the crown jewels. Uh, what killed George Washington? That one's actually pretty interesting. It's was good. it his doctors? Oh, it was his doctors. That's in the, Kinda. Thumb, in the title. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was it sick. Was. He was sick, they but it's funny. leeches and stuff. I know, but it was really funny, all the things they did to him. And then the one doctor who, and they had so many doctors coming in, and then the one doctor actually suggested a new revolutionary thing that actually might have saved him in the end and they reject everyone rejected it because it was you know he's george washington we can't go experimenting with these new procedures and it actually might have worked or at least uh yeah it was possible but yeah that's when it was really interesting um camp death that was a good one that um that one actually didn't do super awesome but it's actually really interesting about a civil war american civil war um camp people should go check it out oh, yeah go subscribe to our our, our fledgling channels yeah, fledgling, uh, yeah, and that would be grand. Thank you very much. Yeah, because we don't have a sponsor for this episode, so we uh yeah. we still want to you know, promote something, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, should we move, should we do some main course? Main course. So we're going to talk about where where did the spoons, knives, and forks? I mean, obviously, like we don't know who invented each one. It's, uh, they're kind of old, but um, you know, kind of what's the progression here? Like where did they, when do they start? And for a lot of this, it's like surprisingly common for this all to be common you know just like something everyone uses or, or surprisingly like a, a recent i should say um so uh spoons one of the oldest of them along with knives is the other one uh the, the two of the three so spoons seem to be obviously the early going i mean would you call it a spoon if it's like a scooping device that doesn't have a handle would you still say that's a spoon uh, i mean if someone i mean it depends if it's being used for the purpose of yeah. a spoon yeah if you're scooping but at what point is this like using a at what point is it a bowl you know, like at what size point? When is the transition from a handleless spoon? Well, it's to a bowl? technically a spoon is just a bowl for ants. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's what Confucius so th- said. Yeah, and so this um, humans have been using spoon-like things basically as long as we have history of people using anything, you know, with food other than their fingers or whatever. So um, this was this was seemingly always a thing, and it was usually obviously things like seashells and rocks and you know conveniently shaped or if they shaped them. Uh, little things and but um we would have to fast forward to yeah so and then some of the first handles were like dead animal bones when they when they finally started to to add that and so the archaeological evidence seems to point to the once again it's always the ancient egyptians man they invented everything they they started seeming the first archaeological evidence of spoon or like handles on the spoons comes from them uh, around um maybe as early as 1000 bc and these were um you know animal bones and you know ivory and uh, sometimes wood and whatnot and they also often covered in ornate decorations and hieroglyphics and stuff like that. But these were often used uh, seemingly like um, ritualistically and stuff like that. So when it looks to like actually consuming food, those ones seem to be more just the, the sort of the common wood and everything. So we have the um, ancient Greek and Romans. They started using like bronze and silver and stuff to actually use for eating food. Like So they got really fancy for their food ones and not just the ceremonial ones. And so that was a thing among the wealthy, of course. I'm not the... The plebeians and that sort of remained the thing up to the middle ages but uh, what is this 
if time, insert aluminum aside here. What was I even thinking there? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> do you mean aluminium? <laughs> yes. I think I was going to go with the um, that time. It was surprisingly recently in history that aluminum or aluminium was uh, cheaper than gold. It used to be much, much more expensive than gold until like the 1850s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they so. found that process with the, uh, is yeah. it electrolysis? Electrolysis. Yeah, yes, yes. Good memory. Yeah. <laughs> Good. yeah. Well, I, I remember uh, doing experiments at school with electrolysis. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So before that, like to get to, even though aluminum is so common in the Earth's crust, like I don't remember, but it's like insanely common. Uh, so you would think it would be really cheap as it is today. Um, but before that, the process of actually processing it and getting getting the thing was super expensive. And so like to have, um, that was, uh, there was some king who like boasted he had like a plate of aluminum and like some utensils yeah. or whatever. And you it's were like, way that's... more baller to have the aluminum, yeah. uh, aluminum plates and knives and yeah. forks than if you had exactly. gold. Exactly. Because like the world supply of that at the time was just like minuscule, like you couldn't even make that much until that uh, invention of that process. And then it just became super so cheap. And what you can see why people like alchemy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's good. Because aluminium was more rare than gold and some dude figured out how to make it from. Yeah. yeah ex- I mean, essentially. Well, yeah, that's too, too. Yeah. To extract it. So it had to have this common in there's crust, but no one could no one could make it, you know, like the actual pure form of it. Like no one could process it. But it's also the problem with alchemy because as soon as someone figured out, like if it was possible to make gold from lead or whatever, it'd be like, well, it'll be like aluminium, isn't it? It'll be everywhere. It's not valuable at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There is that one guy who did it, but um, yeah, what did it cost? Like, I don't remember like how many, like if if he would make it like, I don't know. Accelerator. Yeah. He just made little uh, particles of it basically. And then, um, yeah, the actual usable amount. I don't remember it was going to be something insane, the cost. But it so, was like more than all of the world's money to make like a, a few grams or something crazy. Yeah. So, oh, so going back to spoons. So the first documented evidence of spoons in England was not until 1259. Um, so the uh, it seems to be on an itinerary item for King Edward the First wardrobe. He he had a spoon. And so what do I have a note here? The mighty. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So in um, similar to the Egyptians, uh, spoons at the time were not merely used for eating. They were very ornate uh, used for and made use for ceremonies. This was very for the wealth and power because the spoon was like a status symbol. Like, oh, yeah, I got a spoon. Like, and this again, it just sucked to live Ola. in the past. Like, yeah, yeah. A spoon is like, yeah, uh, yeah crazy. <laughs> crazy. <da. laughs> Um, so yeah, this was used, this is, this is why spoons are still kind of used in like ceremonial things and stuff. So like the coronation of every British king was preceded by a ritual in which the new monarch was anointed by a spoon. Really? <laughs> like a status. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. The, the it, spoons were, um, gained further importance in the Tudor and Stuart periods. Um, when it came customary to give an apostle spoon as a christening gift as well. So the wealthy, of course, we're going back to the wealthy and the wealthy would do a set of 12 of these spoons and the 13th was oh, eventually this still added. happens. Does it? It's a master I feel like spoon, I the know figure this. of Christ. Yeah. No, well, there's definitely something about giving spoons at a christening. I feel like I know this. Yeah. It's a British thing. I this guess. feels super familiar for some reason. I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe yeah. I just, maybe we made a video about it at some point. Yeah. I feel yeah, this is a that's... thing. Yeah. So that's, uh, spoons were quite ceremonial and this is why they still are to some extent the christening spoons and, um, and even people, when they travel to different countries, sometimes they'll collect spoons. You know, people do that. That's like a thing. So that is we'll kind of where spoons. all that came from. And uh, yeah, so over time, of course, they started to progress to like silver, gold for the wealthy. And then as they became more common and then copper and brass for the for the lower classes. But um, yeah, spoons kind of relatively recent uh, as far as the, what we think of them and, and as far as being common, I should say, um, like in mm-hmm. a lot of places um, for the lower classes to use. But yeah, oh, and this, this was the point that I thought was going to be in the last section. So ancient spoons in China, they had them, and uh, they also featured, uh, some of them at least, some examples that have survived, a pointy end. So you could use it as a prong, like a fork or a knife. So the ancient Chinese, they invented the spork or the knife, um, is basically what they had, like all in one thing. Uh, Quite good. So now, yeah, it is. Uh, Moving on to the fork. So this is the most uh, recent addition of all of them. So technically, though, they've existed since ancient times, but they weren't really a thing until much, much more recently, because of course people could just, the more common, uh, even when spoons became like common, it was just fingers, spoons, and knives. Because, you know, you got fingers, what do you need a fork for? So you can use that, God but they do. Perfectly good fingers. 
Yeah, we're going to get into that. So the, they did debut, though, in ancient Egypt because the Egyptians invented everything. And then also the Chinese were invented everything else. Um, So the Kiji culture in 12, 2400 to The Egyptians said everything, Confu- uh, invented everything, Confucius said everything. Yeah. And so, yeah, the um, but in the Western world, this sort of spread uh, in the beginning, via the Silk Road into Venice. And then from there, this is where we get into the sinful nature of, of forks. So... um. And I kind of was wondering about this. I didn't actually look this part up. I was I I wanted to. I don't know if you know this. Is that why the devil is always you know or is often depicted with a pitchfork, like because the fork was considered sinful? Did this come from this era? Like this perception? Because this me was, if I randomly happen to know this. You've done so many videos. Have you ever come across this? Like why, why a pitchfork? Uh, no. I feel no, like okay. I think in the I, I made a business blaze video about it, and I probably made a joke that this. Okay. You know, because he's got a pitchfork, ha ha ha. But yeah. no, I don't actually know whether that's a fact. Well, because that's a that was a that's like a common depiction. I was wondering because this forks being it simple it was like a sense. thing for a long time. So maybe it came from that. I have no idea. We should look that up at some point. But um, so, anyways, the first so the earliest you were like uh, rather than Google this, I'm just going to ask Simon. Maybe he'll know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, I'm sure someone <laughs> might ring in in the comments, maybe, and they'll tell us, and then we could talk about it next time. Probably. Or maybe I'll remember to look. If it up. anyone's still listening at this point, <laughs> if I yeah, if I don't die in a plane crash, I might I might look it up um, for the next episode. Uh, but so uh, Venice, 11th century, the Byzantine princess Theodora Anna Dukania. She got married to Domenico Selvo, and she brought, as part of her dowry, gold forks. And this was this was quite the scandal, because the God-fearing Venetians they they saw these you know pronged monstrosities as a slight to the Lord, as noted by Saint Peter Damian. He's a saint, so he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he knows it. God in His wisdom has provided man with natural forks, his fingers. Therefore, it is an insult to him to substitute artificial metal forks for them when eating. It's so funny because so many of these things like this you look at and it's like it's so just strikes of like the just the old guy who's like, oh, you don't we don't like that change around these parts. Like, (laughs) and so, yeah, it just sort of becomes like a get off my lawn while you're at (laughs) it. Yeah, Yeah, it's not like really anything scriptural or anything like that, because if you look at the book of of, uh, first book of Samuel two thirteen, they thought to be composed around 640 to 540 B.C., uh, the Jewish priests use forks. So, this, you know, like, and so we have a quote here from that. We, the Jewish priests, find forks <laughs> awesome. No, it doesn't. Yes. <laughs> and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. I like yeah, that so- they call forks flesh hooks. <laughs> yeah. And so this... Uh, hey, uh, Saint- would you get me a flesh hook and a knife? St. <laughs> Peter should crack his Bible sometime um, and, uh, and and read it. But um, yeah, so this is he's just like an old man, get off my lawn with the forks. But this became, this was a popular perception anyway, for despite the uh, trivial mentions in the Holy Scripture itself um, of the priest's own servants, the priests no less, um, using forks in a religious uh, thing. But... Nevertheless, they've the fork, the poor fork, and and Theodora was quite vilified for this and her uh, perceived eccentricities of like excesses uh, that she had because she also used napkins. That was another thing that was quite the scandal. Oh my god! Um, what are we yeah. Today? yeah, and she died two years later. Let's burn in her, her. Uh, <laughs> napkin using witch. Yeah, I know, right? Burn her. Um, so the uh, she died a couple years later of a mysterious degenerative disease, and this was uh, thought by some to be attributed to her excesses and like use of fork and napkins and. <laughs> Things like that. Sounds scientific. Yeah. Um, so this perception, in the Western world at least, of, of forks, it carried a stigma for quite a long time and associated with the Eastern decadence. So it was also like not just an affront to God. It's like, oh, you're so fancy, you know, with your forks and whatnot. So we got fingers. We don't need it. We don't need any of that around these parts. Uh, so the forks popularity started growing popular around the 16th century when uh, the trendsetter Catherine de Medici uh, sort of helped popularize the fork, um, as well as she also helped popularize pasta, olive oil, um, all this sort of stuff from, um, you know, and stuff around, uh, uh, you know, the Renaissance and stuff was, stuff in Italy was quite in vogue. And that kind of helped as well. And what also helped, if you notice, we mentioned the 16th century, and if people were paying attention on that bathing episode, why people stopped using bathhouses, this was also around the time diseases were just going rampant. And everyone at this point, of course, you used your fingers, you know, spoons and knives, and uh, if you had spoons and knives, uh, most people at least had the knife, as we're going to do shortly. But um, so, yeah, so, you know, fingers, disease rampant, everyone sharing yeah. bowls. Like, it's not ideal. If you can use a fork, that's probably going to be 
better. So this this also kind of helped spur the popularity of the fork to the masses. But still, it was still kind of the wealthy at first because, you know, the, the commoners didn't have money for no fancy forks. But yeah, but one thing that uh, stopped its popularity a little bit in the beginning was it also considered very feminine to use a fork. And so men were kind of rejecting it for that reason. Uh, they Until, get this, until they started making them ornate with like ruffled edges, you know, like make them more innate, which we would consider oh, yeah. a little bit more feminine. But at the time, the of course, this was when the men were wearing high heels, makeup, doing their hair fancy, tights, dresses. They had the whole thing going. And uh, that was the style for men. That was very masculine at the time. So when soon ru- ruffled cuffs were... Good. When umbrellas were first introduced, it was the same thing. They were thought, thought to be uh, just for women. Oh, and men would be laughed at if they used an umbrella because yeah. it was feminine. And the consensus was men weren't affected by the rain in the same way that yeah. women were. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it just magically goes around them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Dude. Um, so in Seattle, Seattle area, which is you know, so, you know known for its rain. But actually... Seattle doesn't get nearly as much rain as like New York and like places like this, but whatever. We um, made but, a video about this. Yeah, yeah. Seattle actually is really in low. Seattle. Yeah, in Seattle. Yeah, we did. And it was a sunny day too, which was quite fortuitous um, uh, mm. and whatnot. That was funny. We were on that um, escalator and walking around with you, you get stopped a lot. Like, so we go to the restaurants. It's like, hey, Simon. And then we, went, we were on the elevator, remember that, up to the Space Needle. And someone was like, oh, hey, yeah, you know what I learned? <laughs> yeah, it was because he, he pulled it off like the, the, S, the elevator guy was like, so I learned something interesting today. And he's like looking at you significantly. And then he's like, <laughs> he starts talking about it. And it was like, and then like everyone is Hello, like, yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah, it was like good. No, I mean, it was nice, it's nice, but it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's um, always nice. I have no problem with it. And I always like it. But it's no, but like, I would, if I was you, I would be like, oh, no, thank you. No, nah, it's cool. It's talking. just I often don't know what no. to say especially like when it's in front of a group of people oh yeah because like, that was like there's probably like i don't know 15 people in that elevator it's or something pretty crammed it was, elevator yeah yeah but in it, yeah so seattle doesn't get much rain but my point to that was nobody uses an umbrella here really because it just well it just doesn't it's, it's just like mists you know like it rarely ever rains rains like you would get in like new york or like this is why seattle actually doesn't get that much rainfall it just gets a lot of days of like cloudiness basically um, so no one like here that's like not really a thing but people often think um it would be but no because it never really rains so it might like be misting and so what do you need an umbrella that's just something to carry but in any event Indeed. yeah so going on to the where are we now so oh by the 18th century we had a little advancement in forks they started to be curved which actually helps it use as like a spoon a little bit, which is, well, that's yeah, a significant, that. yeah, yeah, that's a significant upgrade. Dude, if someone, if I was asked to make a fork, like someone was like showing me their workshop and was like, here's how you make things out of metal. I'd be like, great. And they're like, make a fork. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't curve it. Mm. And then I'd be like, what's wrong with my fork? Yeah. Cause it it's very a while to get there. Yeah. And it wouldn't work nearly as well. Like for some of the stuff, no. use it like it's a little more purpose. So that 18th century is when curved forks started to be a thing to help with certain foods. But again, still primarily used by the upper classes. If you were poor, you probably didn't have a fork. You probably, you know, whatnot. So um, it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution uh, that that it started to become a thing um, where like everyone was just using forks and whatnot. Um, and forks, of course, quickly surpassed knives, which was why the commoners didn't quite need it as much because um, a knife could be functioned, as we'll get into shortly, um, as a fork to some extent. So yeah, then this this uh, it's a staple all to this day. But that one, pretty recent, which is another crazy thing. You go back to like medieval times, and you're like, hey, you guys don't even have forks, really. I mean, I mean, kind of, but not really. And I guess if you're in Italy, maybe. And you just think like how many common things like that that you could go back to just revolutionize everything for people. And if you just like go back in time and just as simple things like that, like hey, I'm gonna we're gonna do spoons and forks and everything. Dude, you're gonna be like a what about burned going at the back stake. to before yeah. the wheel and being like, if we get yeah. the circular thing. Drill a hole in the middle of it and run something yeah. through it. Check this out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be like, whoa! <laughs> this is yeah, but you, but, but as we see, people, humans resist change. So actually, if you introduced a bunch of these things all That's at once, okay. before I'll just you were roll super... away from them real fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, before if you're really wealthy and powerful, then then you can introduce all sorts of fun things and people would go along. But if you're just a commoner, you're just some guy, and you're just like, hey, I got some ideas. You're like, burn him. <laughs> like he's a witch. <laughs> But yeah, so moving on, we're going to look at knives now. So knives, obviously, much like the spoon, kind of been around since prehistoric times. But you dually, important here is that they were dually always used not just for food, like they were used for lots of things. So like, you know, hunting, like you're just cutting stuff around. Like it wasn't the, the, like the sort of the domesticated knife, the one that used exclusively 
for table use was only about a half a millennia ago is when that became a thing. Before that, the knives were always dual purpose, which is not ideal. You're using your knife for cutting stuff, random stuff, and then eating. That's not a good way to... That's not sanitary. It's not great, but I mean, I've done it camping <laughs> loads of times. You like cut it yeah. up and then you stab it and it's kind of, I don't know. I yeah. mean, it's not ideal, but it's a nice, you know, I like it when I'm, you yeah. know. But you can see a problem with a this. Piece of something on a fire and. Yeah. If a knife though, if a knife is the most popular utensil, which it was for a long time mm. at the table and they're sharp and oh, pointy and everyone's yeah. drinking like ale and. Stuff like that instead of water is like a common getting drunk. This is a problem. Like when you're stabbing food, stick it in your mouth. Uh, it's not ideal um, for that. And, well, um, also, it's not like you get a lot of stabbings at steakhouses, you know. It's not no, like but, steakhouses are famous for their murders. Yeah, but if you're sufficiently drunk, you're probably stabbing yourself in the mouth. And this does seem to have been a problem. Like King Louis the Oh, 24th, this is for like people hurting themselves. Yeah, eating like That's stabbing your like jumping over the table and stabbing each other because you know they were I mean those fiefdoms or some yeah. stuff like that. But if you're if you're slightly inebriated and you're like jamming stuff in your mouth, uh, whatnot, it, it could be a problem. And that's why uh, 1669 Louis the twenty um, fourth he outlawed uh, the sharp knives at the table uh, to be replaced with blunter, wider ones, which is sort of what seems to have given us the dedicated sort of knife uh, kitchen knife we would think of today. Um, sort of the you know your butter knife style type thing so yeah so to, to sort of avoid accidentally puncturing mouths and whatnot so um yeah that that recently that's the 17th century you have this dedicated you know knife as we would think of it before you wouldn't have these things you would just kind of everyone just kind of had knives you know some sort of knife thing to use around and that was it used and it's important to note here also like up until like i think it was the industrial revolution i didn't put in the notes but uh people started to like if you were wealthy enough to have a cutlery set it was traditional to bring your own. Like even if you were dining with like, you know, a lot of the wealthy people to bring your own set if you had it. Wow. And even the commoners, when it sort of became common, it was you would bring your own stuff. Um, and then, of course, it became so cheap that people just, you know, you have like a million spoons and forks and knives in your in your drawers. So, you know, it's like you can yeah. provide if people come over. <laughs> Things I think I don't have enough of. Rarely forks. Yes. Yeah, so but if you if you do that, like when you're talking about the dedicated spoon, knife and fork, where it's dedicated just for eating stuff and common folk we're talking you know not that long ago like where that wasn't a thing really i mean if you're wealthy that's about it so as we've discussed a lot in these podcast yeah. episodes you definitely don't want to be a peasant in the past you don't yeah. even have a fork yeah that's like such a fundamental thing that you would just we take for granted and there's and you think like okay these things how much that we just take for granted of the common things that they could have made back then that they just didn't because they didn't think about it like you'd go back and it'd be such a culture shock to be just like whoa like, that's weird. You always think about, like, going back and inventing, like, the microwave or the yeah, internet. But no. Or the car. And it's like, invent, just invent the fork, guys. Like, and then make it <laughs> curved. Make it curved and you'll really blow people's minds. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I couldn't, if someone sent me back to the 1950s and we're like, okay, we're going to invent the microwave. I'll be like, oh, God, I don't remember anything. It'd be like, <laughs> it uses waves. Use the waves. Scientists, yeah. come on. Yeah. Something to do with radar. <laughs> yeah, that was how it was invented. That was a really interesting then the, um, so he didn't even have a like, grammar school education and he just sort of made him, so he was from this small town and they wanted to do, what was it? They wanted, it wasn't radar to start. Well, it was just a, like something to wire up something and he just made himself an expert at it, you know, just read some books and then got the job to wire up the town with something with electricity. And then just from there. Wait, no, he was definitely working on, the guy who invented the microwave? Yeah, that was, the, that was his start. So he had like no education. I don't remember uh, what he did. Uh, and that yeah. was like his start, like when he, he was looking for a job and someone was hiring to do some sort of electrification of something. I don't remember the details, but uh, so he just made himself an expert on on how to do it. And I mean, like uh, by expert, I mean, like he probably just read how to wire stuff up at that point. But then he just continued to self-educate to the point where he became the world leader, uh, world, the, the greatest mind on radar technology and made so many advancements and everything all just from self-taught. And uh, then eventually, of course, they stand, they used to stand in front of the um, the radar things uh, to, to warm up and, and stuff. And then they eventually realized that you know, like he had that chocolate bar melt in his pocket and then he go hey that's right we can we can warm some food up let's see let's see and then they did the egg i think the first one was the egg and it blew up in their faces so then they were like hey we should contain this so that it doesn't blow yeah. up in our faces maybe this is doing something to our eyes <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean as long as you don't turn it up too much you're not going to hurt yourself uh it's just but yeah that you really need to know what you're doing because if you turn that up too much uh and then you can just boil your insides and it's oh, not going to be it was severe burns and yeah, not going to be good, but they did it. You know, they knew what they were doing, I suppose. Yeah. So 
moving on from forks, spoons, and knives, we're going to talk about the origin of the fortune cookie because this is um, just sort of speaking of Asian-y things and food. I thought it'd be a good dessert because it is, a, you know, sort of traditional dessert item. So, and a lot of people have misconceptions of where did the fortune cookie come from. So it's commonly said this is just a sort of American thing. Like it's just invented in America and it's from, you know, just pretend Chinese. Um, that's neither of those is true. However, you're not fine fortune yeah. cookies in, in actual, actual Chinese restaurants. Yeah, so even though it wasn't invented in America, so we've established that, it's not an American thing. So people are right, well, it's in Chinese restaurants. Surely it's in China. No, it's not a thing. And even Wonton Food tried to introduce the fortune cookie to China, and uh, they gave it three years, a three-year marketing campaign and everything, and, tried to, and it just never caught on, which is a little weird because like the Chinese don't really have like desserts and stuff like traditionally like we would think of it like like especially you talk like the french or something like that like do like so yeah. many french love their desserts yeah exactly and it's so weird because like why you know you have this large group of humans why don't why don't they still you know necessarily have like all these dessert items like they would think why the french and not like it's, it's sort of weird to think about like you know culturally like how did that progress you could also argue why do the french still have desserts i mean you could say yeah. Like, why not yeah. just eat one big, healthier, savory meal and not yeah. fill yourself with sugar afterwards? Yeah, I mean... Why do a... we still do that? Yeah, well, because it tastes... all too fat, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's quite fascinating. It's not, like we're cons- it's not like we're like, oh, we've got to get those calories in. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like, I suppose, the, the thing with um, chopsticks versus spoons and stuff like that. It's just sort of interesting how, like, one culture can progress that way. And it's like, yeah, we're going to use these and, and other... Anyways, anyway, so Wonton Foods tries to introduce it to China. It doesn't work out. So... Chinese didn't invent it. Americans didn't invent it. Where did it come from? Um, and it is uh, primarily consumed in America. Or do you have, like, is fortune cookies really a thing in Europe? In uh, Chinese not in- here. I live in the Czech Republic. No. In the UK? Yes. Okay. I think. But not okay. always. All right. Yeah, like, so- I've definitely had them. And I feel like maybe they would come with a Chinese takeaway or after a Chinese meal. But not always, I don't think. Quite fascinating. Um, so, um, wait, so where so, did yeah. they come from? Not invented in China, not invented in America, but they are Chinese restaurants in America. So, how did this come to be? So, who invented it? Turns out it was the Japanese the who did it. And some people say, some people say the Japanese in, uh, invented it in America. That's sort of the next sort of myth that comes about. And it turns out that one's not accurate either. The Japanese invented it in Japan, funny enough. Weird. I know, right? But the reason why this sort of myth, because it's actually recently discovered that it was invented in Japan uh, in the 1990s, a, a researcher known as Yasuko Nakamichi. So he encountered, he's, he's in um, Japan, obviously, and he encounters a fortune cookie-shaped cracker uh, called the Sujuro Senbai, uh, made by hand in a family bakery in Sohonke Hagiokudo. Uh, near the Shinto shrine outside of Kyoto, Japan. And so then this gets him thinking, like, this looks like a fortune cookie. And not only that, mm. it has a fortune slip inside called the Omukuji and uh, and traditionally sold in shrines and temples. So what he got to wondering is, did this predate the fortune cookie in America? So it was Japanese. All, pretty much all the stories of the, the fortune cookie popping up in America come from Japanese immigrants. Um, so did it mm-hmm. predate, though? Did these ones predate? And so then he started doing some research back to see... Oh, and it should be noted here, these these crackers that were created here at the, at the shrines or whatever uh, were cooked. They So they pour batter into waffle iron-like molds and then hold the irons over coals. That's sort of the traditional way. Um, and then while the cracker's still warm, they they put the little, they fold it over and um, put the little thing inside. And also around uh, in Japan, they also used to do that with candy, apparently. That was the thing, uh, traditionally. But uh, they put like little slips of things, um, some paper inside with some writings on it. So did it predate... The, the U.S. ones, though, the, when they popped up in the U.S. And so you seemingly would be the case, but it turns out not by a long time by the evidence he could find. So 1878, he found a picture of an apprentice baker making these fortune cookies in a bakery. Um, and so the depiction of making it was exactly like he observed um, in more modern times, um, the way they made it. Um, so uh, the book was the 19th century book. It was um, Moshiogusa Kinsai Kiden. Uh, and it predates, it does in fact predate the fortune cookie popping up in America by about three decades. So this was this was sort of the earliest, so about three decades before they were making it. And further evidence pointing to once again is the descendants of two of the first bakeries to make fortune cookies in the U.S. was, uh, And one of them actually is still in operation today. They still have their original iron kata grills, and they are exactly the same as the ones used in these, um, these shrines and whatnot. So that seems to be... Okay. 
Yeah, it came at least that far pretty back in clear. China. Yeah, yeah, pretty clear. But that's sort of more of like a recent discovery. So how, you might be asking. Okay, so the Japanese, brought here by Japanese immigrants, and they're the ones popping it up. Why is it a Chinese, Americanized Chinese food restaurant thing? Um, and that one, nobody knows for sure, but there are a few contributing factors that seem to all kind of have played. And World War II seems to have been a big part of that. Um, so at this point, you had, did have the Japanese internment, and all things Japanese became very unpopular in America for a bit there. And so, um, oh, we, we, we're going to, I really need to, this brings, we have a story of this, um, the accidental farmer. There's this guy, I want to do a, a video on it because it's really good. It'd be really good for highlight history um, to cover. This guy, he basically, all these Japanese people around him, these families that he knew and whatnot got interned. And so all their farms, nobody's nobody's doing anything with them. Like they're just uh, not getting plowed. And these, I mean, this is their livelihood. They got to keep up the farms. So he just took them all over and started doing like all the ones around him, started doing it for them and making the money for them and keeping their farm up, keep their, their, their fields. And so, and then when they came back, all their stuff was still all good and he had the money for them and everything. It's a really good story of this guy. Uh, I think it was, it's a good highlight history one. We should totally do. I like it. Quite fascinating and like a cool story. Um, but anyways, so you had this um, all things Japanese being coming unpopular. And at this point, um, they did in California, the Chinese restaurants seemed to have picked up uh, the fortune cookie and, and seems to be like maybe because they didn't really have dessert items and Americans like dessert items. So it's kind of like an easy, quick dessert item and kind of uh, coming over from the Japanese people who are making them and they would obviously sell them to anyone. So that seems to be a contributing factor. But that is where it spread, though. After World War II, you had a lot of soldiers going off um, back home. So the Pacific Theater and everything and they, they you know, stationed in, a lot of stationed in California where they got uh, accustomed to these Chinese restaurant fortune cookies. And then they would go back and they sort of request and sort of spread from mm -hmm. there, from California and the Chinese restaurants. They exactly like the exact origin of how that uh, kind of transition doesn't, it's not really clear, but it seems to be like around that time when Japanese stuff became very unpopular and kind of, and then it kind of just uh, percolated over to the Chinese and then it just became, you know, Chinese cuisine a bit more popular there anyway. Um, so then it just became associated with Chinese stuff. And I don't know, like Japanese restaurants, I don't even know if there's one around me, which I mean, do they have fortune cookies still? I don't know. Definitely not here. Does it, well, sushi restaurants, uh, uh, I guess. the, the Yeah, kind of, but yeah, they don't, when, There's also a few around here. I, they don't give me a fortune cookie when I go, but maybe they just don't like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's still guys back. Still a thing, but um, so that's it's not quite clear. But it seems to be something to do with that. Like when the Japanese kind of got all displaced, and then it kind of transitioned. Some of the Chinese restaurants took over some of making some of these uh, things, and then just uh, just got associated with Chinese Americanized Chinese restaurants anyway. But yeah, invented by the Japanese in Japan, turns out, and that. There you go. I like that it. Today's episode. That's today's episode. Yeah. All right. Um, what do we need to say? Leave us a review. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with another. Do we know, do we know what's coming up next? I have a yes. Well, yeah, I think the origin of everyday things. And we're going to talk about text messages and some other stuff, which is quite fascinating. Well, and I have I'm some excited stuff. to get started. I have a series on the queen we're going to do too coming up, which is going to be really good. God save her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always, whenever we're planning something and announce something like that, I so like, don't die. Like, don't die until we're, because she's oh, so old, you know? Well, if she died, it'd be even more popular because people would be like, oh, that's, yeah, you know, I guess that's, well, but that's trending. The part, the part that is uh, hard though, is sometimes when it's like, what powers does the queen have or something like that? It's like, oh, you know, they'd have to reduce a major rewrite. Well, you could say definitely not the power over life <laughs> and death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, but um, yeah, we'll do a series on some stuff with the queen, which is quite good. She'll probably live for a while. Her whole family live forever. Like that's some good. Sort of half that's vampires. Good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, good. I look forward to it. Let's. Uh, we'll record that soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode about the Queen and. They use the leeches and stuff. <laughs>